Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. And uh, this morning, we get the chance to do something a little different. Um, We are kind of pressing pause for just the week on our series we've been working on to take some time to dig in a little further on uh, some of the content that was shared last week by Travis. And so if you haven't been with us over the past few weeks, um, this is kind of what we've been doing. We started this series a few weeks ago called uh, citizens. And uh, the idea behind it is um, we oftentimes, I think especially in the context where we live, in the time that we live, uh, the idea of Jesus as king sometimes is a hard pill to swallow. Um, we're usually king of our lives. And so this idea of Jesus as king is difficult to understand, but it's language that is used far and away more than anything else in Scripture. If him is our king and, and us as part of his kingdom. And so what does that look like? What does that look like for us here and now? And so we've been going through and a- kind of asking that question, looking at the different uh, things that make up, the building blocks that make up a citizen of God's kingdom. And last week we took time to talk about uh, the reality of the supernatural and the supernatural world and how that affects us as citizens of God's kingdom. And uh, there's a lot of stuff in, and it was a packed week. Travis walked awesomely, that's not a word, but you walked really well through uh, all of that content. And if you haven't watched it, man, I would recommend so much that you go back and take a, take a watch because it is really, really good and helpful and thorough. Um, but there's a lot of consequence to, to what we uh, have been working through, what Travis shared last week. And so we wanted to take time before uh, just moving forward in this series to, number one, answer a, a few questions that, that came in from uh, our church family. We gave you guys an opportunity to submit questions, stuff like that. But more importantly, uh, ask the big questions of, okay, so why does this matter? If this is just something interesting to think about, it doesn't have that much effect on our, on our lives, but why does this actually matter? Why does this way of seeing the world matter for us today? And so we're going we're gonna to be talking through uh, those two things here this morning, and we do want to give our church family even more opportunity to ask questions if you have them. Um, we may not get to them today. If last service was any indicator, we probably won't, but it'll be really good to have those things uh, to be able to continuously answer as we move forward. You know, the internet's an awesome thing to be able to continue to have dialogue and conversation even outside of this room. And so if you're in the room or if you're watching online and you do have a question that pops up from something that was said this morning or something that you're wondering about, uh, you can text in. You can text your questions to 209-521-0181 and we'll be compiling those. If we are able to get some today, awesome. If not, we will definitely make a point to continue to to uh, continue this conversation as we, as we move forward. Um, before we jump into it, though, uh, if you're maybe brand new or you missed last week, you're like, I have no frame of reference for what you guys are talking about, uh, Travis is just going to run us through really briefly just some of the highlights, some of the foundational things that, that you might need as we continue this conversation this morning. Yeah, so last week we started out in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. And the question is, what does it mean that God gave authority to Jesus and who had it before in all the world? Who was 
uh, in charge and who was exerting authority in this world. And we looked back through kind of the scope of the Bible. You go all the way back to Genesis 6, and you see this first uh, experience of this fallen um, being, this fallen spiritual being in the garden who appears as a serpent, uh, Satan, and he says to uh, Adam and Eve, you know, you, you don't need to be honoring and following and obeying God anymore. So we see that fall of humanity uh, and this kickoff of a, a rival kingdom here on earth, a kingdom that's rival to God's. And then you move forward to Genesis 6, and there's this really weird, awkward passage that's hard to kind of uh, believe the way it says, but it, it, it is what it says. And it's that, you know, Adam and Eve in, in, in Genesis 3 had stepped over this line uh, trying to be more than what God made them to be, trying to have more knowledge and more ability and, and, uh, and, and power, really, than God had had them had given them at the beginning, and they stepped over a line. And then in Genesis 6, we see these uh, spiritual beings that God has created, who he's given authority to. We see them step over a line, crossing down, trying to uh, propagate themselves and, and increase their presence and power here on earth by having uh, children with, with, with humans. Uh, and it's hard. I mean, it, again, if that sounds super weird and you're like, what in the world is he talking about? Watch last week's sermon. I don't want to go through it all again. It is weird, but it is biblical. Um, but they cross the line. And then you see in the Tower of Babel, which is a few chapters later, you see humans try to cross the line again. They build this tower trying to get into the heavens, trying to ascend above their place. And so God confuses their languages, scatters them across the globe. And, and we see in Deuteronomy 32 what happened in that moment was God said, look, you fallen human beings who want to be more than you are and you want to rebel against me and start your own kingdom, okay? You spiritual beings, you've rebelled against me and you want to start your own kingdoms, okay, you can have each other. And so he, he delegates these fallen spiritual beings to rule over nations and peoples and the people of the earth are under their thumb, and that's the way it was until we get to the New Testament and Jesus dying on the cross, raising from the dead, defeats those powers in his death and resurrection, and he ascends to the right hand of God. And all that authority that had been delegated to those fallen spiritual beings is now taken from them and given to Jesus. And so now the gospel goes out into the entire world. That's kind of a rundown of what we talked about last week. And so there's... A lot in there, obviously, a lot more than even what Travis is able to share just in this short time. But, but some big takeaways, you know, spiritual world is a, a, maybe a much bigger, richer place than maybe we think, and has real consequence for how we live our lives, even if it, like, messes with our modern sensibilities. And uh, again, the big question, though, is, then why does that matter? Um, what, what do we need to know, then, uh, if, if this is true? And Matt has some awesome uh, points to bring up that just help us gain context as to why we're even taking the time to do this. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, I, I go away for a week and Travis messes everything up. So we had to come do this and, and kind of clean up. And uh, No, um, <laughs> so we, we, <laughs> we've been, um, it was it, funny, uh, we've been kind of working through this for the last couple of years, even of, of, of doing some digging and pushing and, and, and questioning and that kind of stuff. And it's been really good. Um, but I wanted to kind of frame this, uh, a little bit for us this morning, even as we have questions and things like that. A, a few things that I want to share with you. Number one, um, the reason we're talking about these things is because they're in the Bible. Um, and we live by a conviction that we, 
uh, teach the Bible whether or not we feel comfortable with what it says. Um, and that not only applies to things that are hard to understand or confusing, but also things that our culture or our society rejects. Um, we, we will continue to pursue those things um, because, because God, is, God is our king and we're called to follow him. And so we, we do, as best we can, we teach the Bible uh, as, as it is intended to be taught, the, the, the things that, that the Holy Spirit moved in and through those um, human authors that, that recorded scripture. Our desire and our aim goal is to teach the Bible as, as what, what their intended meaning was. And so we're not always perfect at that, but that's what, what our intent, that's what we're trying to do. Um, secondly, um, the supernatural runs parallel with the natural throughout the Bible's narrative. Um, every, everything that happens that you see in the Bible that, that talks about a physical thing or a natural happening, there is a spiritual behind-the-scenes parallel happening at the same time. Um, if, you go to, if you go to 2 Kings chapter 6, it's where uh, Elijah... And the and the people of Israel are kind of stuck in this place because he's really upsetting the the Syrian king, and and what happens is they're in their camp and they're surrounded by the Syrian army, and uh, in in chapter in chapter six verse fifteen it says uh, when when uh, Elijah's servant. Uh, of, uh, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more, more than those that are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And, and you know, we maybe you're familiar with that passage and we read that passage and it's just really clear in what it's saying. It's saying that like that, that the Syrian army was surrounding the city yet God at the same time paralleled that reality with a spiritual reality that he had surrounded with his, his spiritual army, that city as well. And, and Elisha's servant, his eyes were open to that. And we see that and we say, yeah, okay, great. But here's the thing that we need to understand that, that that's, that army of fiery chariots and horses was not there to just battle the Syrian army. It was there holding off a spiritual enemy army that was there backing the Syrian army. And, and so there's these parallels. So the things that we see, in fact, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, where Paul deals with meat offered to idols and this big issue in the church He's dealing with the physical of, of, of meat being offered and idols and being sold in the marketplace, but also the spiritual behind that of who those meats are being offered to. That they're being offered to spiritual beings, and, and he tries to kind of unpack that. So there's this parallel of spiritual and, and physical. The, the supernatural and natural is happening throughout the narrative of Scripture. It's happening right now as we are sharing, and we're talking in this room, there is a supernatural parallel going on right now that's fighting for your attention and your hearts and your loyalty, just as God is calling us to be loyal to him. And, 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 and then thirdly, um, we, we have to recognize recognize that we have limited revelation. Um, God reveals those things to us that he wants to reveal to us. Um, we've all been in situations where we've struggled and, and been hurting, and we're just like, God, just tell me. 
God, just reveal to me these things and I think I'll be okay. But, but God doesn't always reveal the things we want him to reveal to us. Um, and we have to trust that that's for our good, that's for our benefit. Uh, and, and so we accept limited revelation of things like the Trinity. We, we, we believe, if, if, if we are theologically sound, we believe that God exists in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet we can't figure that out. We don't have a great model or example or illustration to clearly, honestly communicate that. But we accept it. We accept the virgin birth, even though we don't understand it. We, don't, we can't wrap our heads around it. We, we believe that Jesus was fully God, fully man, and we don't have a category for that. But it's limited revelation. God, God doesn't give us the how and the, the, the details, but we get that. And, and so there's a reality that like Genesis 6, where it talks about the sons of gods and the daughters of men and the Nephilim and all of that, we, we have very limited revelation about that, but we know it's there. Makes us uncomfortable, but, but it's there. And so we have that limited revelation. So we have to recognize there's things that we won't ever really understand or unpack until we see Jesus face to face. And we have to be okay with that. Um, finally, this. Uh, I think failing, and this is what really has hit me over the last couple of years, failing to understand the supernatural, I think, will result in a fragile discipleship. If we really becomes, become disciples on Jesus' terms at all. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, <clears throat> is that uh, the job of a disciple is to make disciples. And making disciples is the process of, of, of salvation and sanctification, of evangelism and, and spiritual growth. And so if we're going to be successful at that, we need to recognize what the job, what the commission entails, that it is not just a physical realm thing. There is a connection to the spiritual, the supernatural. And if we don't understand that, we will run into problems. And it's interesting because, because the idea of, uh, of uh, you know, we think about, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, and all that, and the idea of sinister world powers and their subjugation to Christ is built into the very fabric of the Bible. In fact, Paul's letters, uh, there is some mention of Jesus Christ having victory over the spiritual powers throughout the universe in every single letter that Paul writes except for Philemon. Every single letter, Paul references Jesus Christ's authority and subjugation of the spiritual beings and powers uh, in, in, every, in every letter except Philemon. And, and so uh, his, his belief that, that these powers are the invisible agents behind what is really happening in the flesh uh, is not, or is not, is, 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 are happening all around us um, kind of culminates in Ephesians chapter 6 where he says, our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so that's interesting because we all know that verse. We know that verse. If you've been in church any amount of time, we know that verse and we believe that verse, but we don't live that verse out, do we? Because, because the reality is that that we have this knowledge, but I don't think we believe it and act on it because, because look at, at who we battle against. The bulk of our time, the bulk of our words, the bulk of our energy is spent going after each other, going after other human beings. 
And, and so we miss the real enemy when we focus our attacks on other human beings. We have to recognize that, that again, our commission, our mission, our calling is to human beings to help them understand the message of the gospel. And, and our real enemy is, is, is the, these spiritual beings who have also rebelled against God. Not only have we rebelled against God, but they have. And, and our, our goal is to help other human beings see the truth of the gospel. Um, if, if we don't understand the supernatural realm and, and how it impacts the physical realm, and if we just live in the natural, we'll fail in the commission that we've been given. Um, and, and, and that's one of the huge things that has impacted me as I've walked through this. Um, I, I think, I don't know, maybe you're not like this, but, but in my heart, I have some really bad stuff going on. And, and, and I think it, it, it really is connected to the fact that much of my life, I think I've been balanced, but I, I, I've realized that I actually have been very much living in the here and now. And so, for example, yesterday I was listening to a podcast and it was this story about um, these hikers on the Appalachian Trail. They were doing a through hike a few years ago. And um, generally it's really safe and you meet people and they build community and all that. But this one stretch um, of, of time on the Appalachian Trail, there was this guy who was on it who was threatening other people who were hiking and uh, he had, was arrested, but they couldn't hold him. And eventually, um, he attacked and killed a guy who was hiking the Appalachian Trail as um, a way for him to kind of heal and stuff. He was a veteran. He was, came back from Iraq, and that's how one of the things he was doing. This guy attacked and killed him and stabbed a woman almost to death. And then I, I, did, I, I wanted to know what happened to this guy, and so I looked it up, and in this past week, his, the court case ended, and uh, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. In my inside, my reaction was, that guy deserves to be in hell. And that's an example of how I'm not recognizing the big picture of what Jesus calls us to, because that guy needs Jesus just as much as we do. He deserves Jesus just as much as you or I do even though in, in my natural sense, there's a lot of things that I think that guy deserves. Doesn't mean he, he's not responsible for his actions, but, but understanding what God is doing in his mission and, and what's going on in the supernatural world helps me to see the urgency of how I need to see people around me. To be honest, this past year of working through all of the, the crisis of the last year, um, understanding what I understand about the spiritual world and, and what I've, the journey I've been on has helped me to navigate it in a way that, that I, I believe I've been more, um, more like Jesus through the process than I would have been had I not had this understanding. I just love that because um, it can be, I think, really easy for us when we run into something that maybe is strange or we have a hard time, like, understanding. We oftentimes will approach it with, give me all the details so that then I can make a decision if this is worthwhile or not or why I would do it. Um, but especially in, with, with the limited revelation that we have about the spiritual world, um, it's, it's really encouraging, can be really helpful to us to see, oh, this is how it's actually impacting people. This is why it's important. And we each kind of wanted to share a little bit as to, through our process, why 
this bigger view of the supernatural has affected exactly like where we're at right now and what we go through. And so, Travis, do you want to share a little bit about how this process has changed your mind? Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that's been super beneficial is that because this, the biblical authors, as you go through time, they look back at the scripture that, that came before, and they're basing what they're writing and what they're saying off of things they see in scripture in the past. So getting a, a more maybe scriptural, biblical worldview of some of these hard passages, some of these supernatural passages, uh, that was the worldview of the authors who wrote scripture. And so there are things and scriptures and passages that I, I haven't really understood well before, that now they're just kind of coming to life and popping up as, oh, I think I get what that later uh, author of scripture is saying because they have the same worldview as the things that we're learning right now. So it's been a real eye-opener of, of what certain, you know, scriptures throughout, uh, you know, the Bible mean. I, I think, though, for me, the, the biggest thing that this has done in my mind is kind of like Matt, that um, it's a discipleship thing. Um, I always have viewed uh, making disciples, you know, evangelism and, and, and helping people grow in their walk with Jesus um, as something that is our call for sure. Um, and for me, I think it was just relegated to, well, people are lost and they need a savior. We don't want them in hell for eternity. We want them to be with Jesus forever. And, and that is the priority of evangelism. But I think too, it just adds another layer to that because um, when you see the fact that there are kingdoms battling each other and that there are people, millions and millions and billions of people in this world who are held captive by an evil uh, kingdom of fallen spiritual beings who deceive, who use all kinds of means to deceive, making disciples becomes an act of warfare on behalf of our kingdom. It, it, it's, a, it's now, for me, a, a reality that when I share the gospel with somebody, I am walking into possibly enemy territory and inviting someone who has been held captive to be liberated and come into the kingdom of light. And church, we have to realize that Jesus is not returning until this whole globe is evangelized. He will not return until every tribe and nation is evangelized. So I want to get this done. I want to bring the battle home. I want Jesus to return, and I want to finish off our enemy as soon as we possibly can. So evangelism and, and t telling people about Jesus, making disciples uh, is not just an act of mercy to them, but it's an act of war against our enemy who is evil. That's awesome. It's so good. Um, and it's interesting just how every... <clears throat> well, all three of us even, have had, like, similar uh, conclusions based off of, like, what we're being uh, shown, but also there's been some distinctives, too, and, and I think one for me that just hasn't been mentioned yet, although I'm totally tracking with what you guys are saying, is this whole process of, of seeing the supernatural for what it actually is, um, it's forced me to be actually honest and consistent in how I see all of Scripture. Uh, and what I mean by that is, like, it's easy, it's always been easy for me to be like, okay, you know, the Trinity, virgin birth, like, miracles in the New Testament. I mean, this whole thing's built on a guy coming back from the dead. So, like, yes, those, those things have to exist supernaturally. But everything that I go through, it's really easy for me, maybe just because I'm a little bit skeptical in nature or whatever, to try to explain all of that away. Um, and when I do that, uh, I'm becoming more and more aware, like, I am, I am 
decreasing at least the power in my own life of the resurrection of Jesus, the actual big picture supernatural stuff that, that's going on in the world. And I think at the very least, it makes us miss out on what God wants to do. And at the worst, we damage the mission and we damage like our own role in it. Um, and honestly, for me, what it boils down to, this, this big picture of the supernatural, is it, it's a reset of priorities. And the more I think about this, the more I look at how I live my life, there's just a need for a massive reset of priorities. I, when it comes to my parenting and my role as a husband and my role as a, as a pastor and as a friend, it is always easy for me to focus on the physical that is controllable. I, you know, I discipline my kids way more than I disciple my kids, you know? And that's, that's, a, that's something that I see pop up all across the board. Like the dirty little secret of like church ministry and ministry in general is you can have a ton of apparent success without any work of the Holy Spirit. You, you can. You can draw a crowd. You can modify behavior. You can twist arms, use tactics to get what you want to make it look like you succeeded. But, you know, have, working with teenagers and seeing these statistics just continue to rise of these kids graduate high school and then they're like, I'm done with this thing. It's not because they don't know things. It's not because they don't have good models a lot of the time. I think a lot of the time it's because they have not had a supernatural change inside of them. It's easy to make someone look the part. It's really hard to bring a dead heart to life. And that's something only, that can only be accomplished supernaturally. And so if we really want to see Jesus do the things only he can do, I think that has to be, we have to see it clearly. And, uh, and there's tons of, of examples of how that goes in our lives. And so that's why, that's why it's so important for us to take the time to really try to understand this, but also walk out what, we do understand and let go of what maybe we don't. And so, but we do want to answer some questions and give ourselves as much opportunity as possible to understand this and to walk through it well. And uh, one of the first questions we just wanted to throw out is um, in Psalm 82, there's this interesting passage of scripture. You referenced it last week, right? Yeah. And um, there's reference to gods. And, um, and I think a great place for us to start is there has been a number of interpretations what this, what this psalm means. Uh, maybe some we've heard, maybe some that are kind of new to us. And so, isn't it possible to interpret that passage of scripture of these spiritual beings, these gods, as just being human powers, like kings or, or powerful people in the world? Why have we landed where we are uh, today? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And uh, there are many really smart people uh, who write books and are smarter than any three of us or all three of us maybe put together who do land on that place where in, in uh, Psalm 82, just to give you reference to it, it says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. And so some people have taken that verse and said, okay, it's kind of like a courtroom scene, but these gods, these Elohim, this uh, is the Hebrew word, um, it's just a way of talking about kings of the earth, but kind of elevating them. And that's where a substantial amount of commentators and scholars will, will fall. Um, and, and they're very smart. And they have reasons for that. I, I personally don't believe the text upholds that you get down to verse six. So God, it's a courtroom scene. God brings accusations against these Elohim. Um, and then when you get down to verse six, it, he, he pronounces the sentence. He says, I said, you are gods, sons of the most high. And that sons of the most high are sons of gods. That's, that's just very typical Old Testament nomenclature for spiritual beings. So that's one thing is that throughout the Old Testament, that that um, name, that title is given to talk about spiritual beings. But then he says this, 
uh, I, said, I said, you are God, sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. And so you, he's talking, you don't say to someone who is a man, like men, you will die. That's not logical because they will die like a man because they are a man. You say that to a spirit being. You aren't a man, but like a man, you will die. So to me, the text, um, the actual text of scripture and even the, the, the title given, sons of God or Elohim, that is, that is throughout Old Testament scripture consistent with an idea of a spiritual being, not, not a man. Yeah, and I think uh, along with what, what Travis just said about the, the, the commentaries that, that probably we're most exposed to uh, that have been written, um, you know, in the last hundred years, uh, couple hundred years, uh, probably the majority of them, as Travis said, kind of lean toward the direction of maybe this is talking about human kings. Um, if you go outside of that but stay within Orthodox Christianity, genuine Christianity, and if you go further back, you find that the the primary belief about that that passage was that it that it was spiritual beings, um, and so one of the things I think we're learning and we need to be careful of is 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 that we look at what what not only not only are modern people saying things about scripture, but also looking at what the church has said over over church history and 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 even looking back to say you know what did what did those what did people like Paul and the disciples, um, as they wrote these things, and even going back to the Old Testament, what was that worldview at that time, and, and what would be understood in these passages? And so it's important to, to see that. And secondly, um, just to, for anyone who's kind of like, well, you know, just if we're basing all this on Psalm 82, and that's not really it, it's that there's all kinds of passages. As I said, there's this theme in Scripture. And so it's not just this idea of God holding a council of spiritual beings in Psalm 82, but it's also in, in different uh, narrative sections of, of poetry and history and law and those kinds of things. So it, it really does come up pretty frequently. And, and to be clear, too, there are current scholars and commentators, many who agree with the worldview we're presenting here. In fact, there are some who would who tend to be very allergic to the supernatural type stuff who agree with this that would surprise you that they do. So it's, it's not that all scholars today are, are, you know, pushing this way. No, actually, many, many have, have this kind of thing. But it's, it's definitely not been a, a normal thing in the last 100, 200 years for uh, conservative evangelical scholars to embrace a more supernatural worldview in these passages. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but if we are going down this path, if we are willing to embrace maybe a little bit of a, a wider supernatural view than maybe we grew up with or that we are comfortable with even, um, to really understand what Scripture is saying, then that does open like a few can of worms, if you will. Um, a couple questions that we got in kind of address that. Uh, if, you know, there are these other spiritual beings, and in the Bible they're even referred to as gods, like are we talking like polytheism now? Are they like all of like equal footing? There's multiple gods, and, and where does like Yahweh fall into that or whatever? And the question itself said, you know, in Genesis 1, 26, 27, God says, let us make man in our image. Are the Elohim, these spiritual beings, are they partnering with God to create? Do they have that power? Can these gods do the things that God, that God does? Are they all powerful? Um, do you guys want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so this is not polytheism, just to get that off, off the table. Um, 
this is a belief that Scripture teaches that there are multiple divine beings. It's not just God sitting alone in the heavens. There are multiple divine beings, and, and yet those divine beings are created by God. Someone actually just sent in a, a question asking, did God create the divine counsel? The answer is yes. We don't know when he did. We don't know where he did. That's not something God's told us, but yes, God did create everything that exists, including these spiritual beings, including us. Uh, so yeah, God uh, created these beings, I believe, to rule with um, in, in the spiritual realm. Um, but he is the originator. He is the creator. What was it? I, the question again specifically was? It was specifically uh, when, when God says, let us make man in our image, are the Elohim partnering with God to create? Do they have the same power as God to create? It's really interesting. In Genesis 1, it says, God says, let us create man in our image. And then it says, in God's image, he created. But it, it goes to singular, God creating, when it actually talks about the actual creation of mankind. And then you even see in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, which who we know is Jesus. So Jesus was involved in the, the, the creating, Jesus, who is God. But, um, and then in, even in, in Job 38, we see this, uh, these really beautiful verses of, of Scripture where God is responding back to Job and Job's charges uh, against God of like, you've, you've wronged me or what have I done? And God says, hey, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he goes back to the creation and he talks about the, the morning stars singing in praise as God created. So God's creating and they're watching on. These morning stars, it's another angelic type uh, reference. Uh, they're watching on and rejoicing as they see God do his work. So I think we can very clearly say, no, these other created Elohim beings do not create with God, but they are there to see it. Uh, you know, I, I, the idea of, I think what has been helpful for me is the idea of paralleling the natural and the supernatural, that there are similarities within there. And so um, God, again, um, when we see in Scripture, it talks about God participating with man. Like when, when God says to Moses at different points, he says, what should I do about these people? Um, is God really like, is, is Moses on equal par with God in that moment? Like is, is Moses equal to God? Of course not. And no one would think that. Because, but God, God, the, the things that is distinct about God is from any other idea of an all-powerful, supernatural, um, sovereign being is that the God of the Bible invites his creations into relationship with him. And so God says to Moses things like, what, what will we do about these people? God is inviting him into participation, yet God created Moses and there's no point where we'd ever say, oh, Moses is equal to God. In the same way, God invites these spiritual beings that he created into relationship to participate with him. And that's why you see actually a number of incidences in the Old Testament where God invites these divine beings into relationship and participation of what he's doing. But in the same way that we know that Moses didn't make the decision for God, 
God made the decision. We know that God makes the decision in those contexts, again, in both the super and the natural realm. And, and we don't have to be concerned about, about that kind of thing. I think it's really, sorry, Kyle, I think it's really interesting, or not interesting, important to also differentiate, okay, so what do we believe about Jesus? Uh, there was a question that came in this week, and I think it's super important to ask. So you t- hear about the sons of God in the Old Testament, and we're saying, hey, that's spiritual beings that God created. And then you hear Jesus being called in the New Testament, the Son of God. So is Jesus just one of those sons of God that w- then was elevated somehow? No. Say it with me. No. Okay. Um, Jesus is God. And the writers of the New Testament make it very, very clear that Jesus is the one unique son of God who is God and who was with God all the way back to the beginning. Jesus was never created because he is God. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit exist eternally, never being created. That's who Jesus is. Jesus isn't one of these these lower created beings that just elevated. See, that's Mormon theology. Um, Mormons uh, would teach that Jesus was just one of these gods, one of these Elohim that was then elevated, and that is just not at all what Scripture says. So we hold a very high view of Jesus, never to be taken down to just the realm of a created spiritual being. Jesus is God. He is Yahweh. He is the God of gods. Um, You know, I I think, um, as I said before, you know, Paul references this this mentality, this worldview in every one of his letters. Um, In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, I want to just read this because this for, for anyone who kind of says, hey, what, is, what implication does this have with, you know, the, the, the Godhead and the Trinity, Jesus? What is, you know, we, we hear these things. Well, let me just give you this definitive moment of, of Jesus. And that's in Colossians chapter 1, starting verse 15. It says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. You see the invisible God in Jesus Christ alone. The firstborn of all creation, for by him All things were created in heaven and on earth. And to emphasize this, he says, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, those terms are all spiritual being terms. Those aren't about human beings. Those are about spiritual beings. That all things were created, all of these spiritual beings, he says, all things were created through Jesus and for him no one else, through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That everything, that, that both the natural and the supernatural realm is held together through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There's no one else that that is true of. That is, God himself holds things together. It says, it says that, he, and he is before all things, Uh, And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All of God dwelt in Jesus. Jesus was fully God. And it says, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That Jesus is the one who reconciles, redeems, remakes, makes whole 
who we are. All things are reconciled in heaven and on earth through Jesus Christ. And here's the part that I love that brings us back to why we're doing what we're doing. He says in verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Because it comes all the way back to this. The reason this is important, the reason we have chosen to walk through this is because we need to remember that we are called and commissioned to be part of what Jesus made possible when he died and rose and ascended into heaven so that we who are hostile against God, the rebels, the ones making our own kingdom, that we would be able to be reconciled, redeemed by Jesus Christ into the family of God. And that's what God wants for every single human being. And that's why it is so important and so urgent that we face the true enemy and we pursue those who by being deceived out of their own rebellion and the influences that have power over them, that we pursue them to show them the gospel. And I think it's interesting because some of the people in the world that I have the least love for are probably also the easiest marks for the enemy. And if I don't love them and if I don't pursue them, then how are they going to know Jesus? That's what this all comes back to. Yeah, this thing is, this thing is no joke, that's for sure. Um, and it can't just stay as an interesting tidbit that we walked through that one time at church. Um, when we see the world for what it is, the physical and supernatural, it requires a change in us, how we, do, how we walk through it. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a big thing. And I, I'll be honest, it's kind of, fr- it's a frightening thing a little bit. But it is exactly like who God created us to be. And he's got it. And if we're with him, we'll be just fine. Um, obviously, this is just like the tip of the iceberg. This is something that is, it t- really does take a shift in like how we see things and how we're thinking because it probably isn't what we're used to experiencing each and every day. And so we want to make sure to continue like this conversation and, and be a help to our church family. And so uh, a few ways we'll do that. One is if you send in questions, we'll do our best to try to answer those either through like a digital format or something like that in the weeks to come. Uh, we also have some resources that we would love to just point you to if you're like, hey, I still have questions or I'm still wondering. Uh, we have a few resources uh, that we think could be helpful. And so Travis has, I think, the names of those if you want to mention them. And then we'll post them online and stuff like yeah. that so you can go back. Yeah, so one book that we'd point you to, well, there's, there's kind of it's two books, but one of them is called uh, Unseen Realm by Dr. Michael Heiser. And he's got a book that's kind of a lighter version of that called Supernatural, uh, also by Dr. Michael Heiser. We'd really encourage you to read that. Um, it's, it, it goes deep into this stuff and, and it takes a biblical approach. It's not, it's not a weird, fantastical, we want it to be this way type of thing. It's just what does the Bible say? And he really works through that. He has a really good podcast as well. Uh, some of it's super nerdy. It gets 
down some really uh, rabbit trails, and it's great, but um, we'd encourage you to, so Unseen Realm or Supernatural by Dr. Michael Heiser. Another book, you're going to have to look up the, uh, the guy's name again. Do you remember his name? I always want to, I, I remember it because I keep calling him Dylan McDermott, but I think that's an actor. Um, <laughs> Gerald McDermott uh, called God's Rivals. Um, he uh, looks into just this whole idea of other religions. Why are there other religions and, and all of this ideas of other gods and things like that. He does a great job of really looking at the um, Jewish and the Hellenistic worldview, which we're really talking about. Um, so that's, that's a helpful and very interesting read as well and uh, super helpful and, and very biblical, uh, biblical approach. We'll try to post links to those books today or tomorrow on our social medias. Yep. And so thank you guys so much for being a part, uh, whether you're here in person or online, being a part of the conversation today. Um, it's really interesting stuff and really life-impacting stuff that we're walking through. We hope it is for you as well. Um, I would just like to pray for us to wrap our time up, and then uh, we can uh, wrap up our service. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are, God, our, our Savior and our King. Um, Lord, we just ask that as, uh, as maybe our minds are kind of be, being opened up to some realities, these aren't fabrications, God. You've just made it really clear that the spiritual world is alive and active and uh, affects what we do and we affect what's going on there. And, and God, we just ask that you would help us see our role in that and um, or that you would give us kind of supernatural eyes as we walk through uh, our life. I think it'd be so easy to get stuck on either tradition that we come from or just what makes sense in our own mind. Um, but God, I pray that we would really trust you at what you say. Um, and God, that when we run into situations, we would not just see the problem or the situation or the person through physical eyes, God, but we would recognize the supernatural world that, that's happening alongside this, is paralleling this. And, and Lord, uh, I really do believe that when we do that, uh, we'll, we'll see just what an incredible call you've placed on each and every one of your followers. And Lord, we, we are excited about what that means for us as a church. We love you, and we thank you so much for this time in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.